Do you want to go down to a 40-hour week without losing revenue? If you're ready to let go of all the extra hours, the stress, the overwhelm, and the clients who hijack your time, consider my signature program, Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind. In it, we'll get your accounting practice under control. We'll fix your pricing problems. I'll show you ways to price so you stop giving away the farm so you bring in more revenue for the work you're already doing. I'll help you disengage the clients who are good people but are holding your business back and slowing you down. I'll help you package up your services and design them so they're easy for your clients to understand and choose from while helping you simplify and standardize what you sell. And we'll focus on making your messaging more interesting and compelling so you attract more of the kinds of clients you want to work with and break out of the hodgepodge of referrals trap. We get your prices up, we get your workload down. We standardize, we simplify, we streamline. And we do this at a pace that feels doable, where you feel confident in every choice you make. Prices up, workload down. Registration is open now. We start Tuesday, May 7th. Come with us. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. My name is Geraldine Carter. Today we're talking about disengaging and disengagement letters and the process of letting go of some of your clients or many of your clients so that you can free up space and bandwidth in your business to focus on generating high margin revenue. And I want to share with you what this looks like and what it sounds like, what it feels like, so that you have a sense of the experience, so that you know that this is doable for you. And not only that it's doable for you, but that it is imperative if you are a CPA, especially one working 70 hours a week, 60 hours a week, 50 hours a week, and exhausted and worn out and want to keep being a CPA, you love the work, you love helping clients, but just don't see the path to building your business in a way that is sustainable, that helps you thrive as a person, it gives you free time to enjoy the other aspects of your life, and is fulfilling and rewarding in the way that a business can be when you dial it in. There are a lot of reasons that I could get into of how we ended up here or how US CPAs and accountants ended up here. Suffice it to say that hourly billing and generalism, which go hand in hand, you know, when you bill hourly, it doesn't matter what you do and who you do it for. So that leads to generalism. I would like to drive a stake in the heart of accounting generalism. That's a topic for another show, another episode, but it's really hourly billing and the business model that gets built when the way to make money is to bill hours. And what that leads to is just bringing on as many clients as possible to do billable work. And then of course, hiring staff and having them build as bill as many hours as possible. And that's the way that you bring in revenue, which is utterly divorced of value, which is a bit crazy as a business model. But anyways, here we are. That's how we got, that's how you may have gotten here and know that the fingerprints of hourly billing are all over the industry and all over the thinking inside the accounting space. And they're likely to be all over the inside of your business as well. So if you have way too many clients and you feel like you can just never get unburied, it's probably because of hourly billing. So forgive yourself. You didn't know you were taught incorrectly. 
So why do this in the first place? Number one, we want you to have a more sane life. Number two, there's more revenue to be created when you focus at the top end of your client roster and figure out, design higher value, higher margin services that are focused on solving problems for your clients than there is in churning out deliverables like returns and P&Ls and balance sheets and so on. It might sound risky to think about disengaging a bunch of clients, and by a bunch, I mean 20% and then another 20% and then maybe even another 20%. That might sound risky, and I get it. And I always, when doing this process with clients, advocate for protecting the business, protecting your cash flow, and not just ripping off too big of a Band-Aid, sorry for the image that you take a bunch of skin with it. That's not what we're trying to do here. So the risk of not appropriately disengaging so that you can get your time and your bandwidth back is that your best clients can't get your attention and they can't get the level of service that they need and they can't get the expertise that they're looking for because your head's down in a stack of files. The risk is that your best clients leave. And then if that happens, then you're stuck with all the clients that you're wishing you had disengaged. So yes, I get that disengaging feels risky, but also flip it on its head and look at the opposite situation. What happens if I don't disengage and what's the, what's the risk? Either I'm going to have a heart attack or my best clients will leave and I'll be left with my worst clients. Those are neither one of those is a situation that any of us wants you in. I mean, you can maintain the status quo. But you don't want to maintain the status quo, right? Like if you want to maintain the status quo, you'd not be listening to this podcast. So let's put this disengagement process in context because it doesn't exist in a silo. And I do hear other people in the accounting space talk about it. And I think they do a wonderful job talking about it. And what I hear missing is putting the whole process in the context of your business strategy. So where I take my clients when we do this work is in looking at the entire business from the beginning, from way upstream at the headwaters. So I want you to picture a just a regular star with five points, the kind that you would draw with a pencil on a piece of paper where you make the lines and you connect the dots. Now imagine that those are all that's all string, like cat's cradle, and you pull on one point on the star and it impacts the other ones. So these five points, they're all interconnected and you can't just take one piece and not expect it to impact the others. And those five points on your star that you're picturing are at the top, your North Star, always positioning. So positioning, also I talk about it as niching, market segment, your avatar, your ideal buyer, your ideal client, specialization. There are lots of different words that we can use to talk about this concept. For the purposes of my podcast and everything else that we talk about, I don't split hairs on positioning versus market segmentation versus niching versus ideal buyer. I kind of just lump them all in as more or less the same thing in the same way that if you serve me up a yam or a sweet potato and I was hungry, I wouldn't really care what the difference was, right? Like they're good enough, close enough to being the same thing. I realize they're not the same, but we're not botanists, right? So positioning or niching are the two most common ways that I talk about it. Your position is your North Star because it drives everything else in your business. It 
most importantly drives the next p- the next point on the star which is your strategy what is your business strategy okay so we're going to split some semantic hairs here and talk about the word strategic planning which i would love to throw in the trash can around the world because there is planning and there is strategizing and those are two different activities you strategize and then you plan if you're not with me what's the opposite of strategic planning what kind of planning would you do would you do unstrategic planning? No, all of your planning is going to be with strategic or with strategy in mind. But we need to strategize first and we need to determine the strategy. And the strategy is simply the high level plan to accomplish the goal. That's all it is. And strategy for most of the clients that I work with, business, the business strategy that they go for is figure out who you want to work with, decide what problem you're going to solve for them, and then choose your packages and your prices. And then go about disengaging anybody who doesn't fit that. By contrast, the CPAs who come to me fall into three camps. At the one end of the spectrum, they are way overworked, working 70 hours a week, and we need to cut, 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 cut way back to get down to 40 hours a week and sanity And that is much more important than growing revenue. At the other end of the spectrum, they are just starting out. Maybe they've just recently left somewhere else, or maybe they're re-entering the workforce. And they want to do things the right way. They see where other CPAs have ended up, and they don't want to go down that trail. And they want to make sure that where the fork is in the road, that they take the right path. And then in the middle are the ones who are working like 50 hours a week and they want to make more revenue, but they can't find more hours in the week to work. And they they just can't work 60 or 70 hours a week for whatever reason. So they're topped out in terms of time, but they want to make more money and they can't figure out how to do it. Vestige of hourly billing. But regardless of which of the three camps that CPAs come to me, in whichever of the three situations they're in, the strategy is universally the same. It is isolate who you want to work with, decide what problem you're going to solve, choose your prices and your packaging, and then focus on selling to only those people. Another business model that people could choose is Keep your entire client base of clients who are all over the map, from the manufacturers to the GovCon to the tech startups to the hairdresser, and hire more staff to sop up the work. That is a business model option. That is a strategy that one could employ if they wanted to. You could, as a strategy, choose hire more staff to grow. I have yet to have a CPA come to me who says, I want to hire more staff as my growth strategy. That's not to say that that's a good choice or a bad choice. It's only to say that people who come to me don't opt for that strategy. So where does that put us? Strategy as the second point on the star. The third point on the star is package your services, which I've covered in multiple places on this podcast, so I won't get into it now. The fourth point on the star is pricing which I've also covered in multiple places, most recently in Pricing for Improved Profitability, which is episode 211. And that is, if not everything, very close to everything that you need to know about pricing in order to transform your 
tax practice. The original recording I created for Blake Oliver's Earmark CPE. So if you want, you can go listen to it over on Blake Oliver's Earmark CPE and get one credit for it. You're welcome. And the fifth point on the star is promote. Promoting the outcomes that clients get from working with you. Promoting the results they get. Promoting your business. Not promoting yourself. It's really easy to get wrapped up in thinking that this is self-promotion, especially when it's your name on the door. But you're not promoting yourself. You're promoting the outcomes and the results that your clients are looking for. They're looking for the solution to their problem and you have it. It's a wonderful thing when you have a solution to people's problem and they're looking for a solution to their problem. And you put it in front of them and they go, oh my gosh, thank you. I'm so glad you created this. If you're having trouble in your mind making the distinction, just imagine listening to this podcast and all these episodes that talk about promoting the solution to your challenges. The name of the business is Geraldine Carter LLC, but I don't promote Geraldine Carter. Because if I did, it would sound like, you should hire me. I'm amazing. I speak three languages. I have a degree from an Ivy. Like, it would just sound ridiculous, like all my personal accomplishments. You'd be like, no, that's not interesting to me. Can you help me solve my problem? Your business is about the problems you solve for your clients and the outcomes and the results that they get as a result of working with you. And that is what you're promoting. So where does disengaging fit into all this? Like I said earlier, you could just randomly disengage, lop off the bottom 20% of your clients. And that probably wouldn't be a terrible thing and you'd probably be fine. But it's also probably not enough because when I do the math this way, if a CPA is working 70 hours a week and we lop off 20% of clients, and of course we assume that all clients provide equal workload, which I realize is a very round assumption. It's sort of like, you know, estimate a spherical cow. It's not that accurate, but you've got to start somewhere because if you really try and determine the volume of a cow and you get into the body being a rectangular solid and the four legs being cylinders and the tail is a cylinder and then you have the head is a cube and the ears are little triangular pyramids, you're going to burn a bunch of time seeking precision where you don't necessarily get that much extra value out of the additional precision. I'm all for precision where precision matters, but precision is not the most important thing here. The most important thing is to get started on the process. So we need to do good enough estimating round number math so that you can move forward with a reasonable degree of confidence. Okay, so back to the 70 hour work week and if you lop off 20% off the bottom and you assume that all work is distributed evenly across clients, which I know that it's not, you're still looking at a 56 hour work week. And that's not it either, right? We're looking to get to 40 or whatever your version of sanity is, right? If it's 45, fine. If it's 35, fine. So 20% is not enough. But you're likely to be trepidatious about letting go of more than 20% because then you start to think about, oh God, what about the revenue? This is where the strategy and the position and the package and price comes back into this picture. 
because I'm on board. I don't want you giving up a bunch of revenue if you don't know that you can bring it in the other side. So we need to bring some revenue in the front door so we can let some out the back. How do we do that? Back to positioning. Who do you want to work with? What problems do they have? How can you solve those problems in a way that's valuable to the buyer? Choose your package, design your package, choose your prices. And then from your top 10 in your client roster, I guarantee you, you have clients who would love more from you. Not necessarily more work, but more help. And help often comes in the form of simple accessibility when they need answers to questions quickly. Because especially for your business owning clients, or if you have real estate investors, they're moving fast and a three week response time doesn't cut it, nor does a week response time. But for business owners who are making decisions where the decisions have big implications, an end of day or a next day response time is enormously valuable. And if you're going to respond either way, you heard me talk about this in episode 201, Effortless Value. If you're going to respond either way, you may as well do the work that has more value. And the work that has more value is the faster response time when compared to the slower response time. Providing more value does not necessarily mean more work. In fact, we like to design it so that it does not mean more work. We look for, we seek the ways for you to create value that do not include you lifting a finger or typing on your keyboard or into your adding machine. So we figure out package, price, and we identify a couple of clients who are in your top 10 and you go have a conversation with them. And you say, hey, for a long time, I've been wanting to provide higher level services to my best clients. There has long been a need. I've put together some options for you with you in mind. Do any of these seem appealing to you? And they're going to say, oh my God, finally. Yes, please sign me up. How fast can we get started? Now, depending on the nature of the work that you do and how long you've been a CPA and how much experience you have and how much confidence you have, your prices for your packages may vary. But let's just say for easy math and some round numbers that your silver package is $1,500 a month and you go to your top 10 in your client roster and you talk to two people and they say, yes, at silver, $1,500 a month, you're looking at 36 grand. And when you have the experience of them saying, oh my gosh, that is so great. When can we start? Whereas what you were thinking was going to happen was that they were going to like give you a scowl and be upset with you for raising prices. And you realize how quickly they say yes, because we've designed it based on the problems that they have and the solutions that they're looking for, of course they wanna buy it. And you go, oh my gosh, holy smokes, wow. And now you go back to your client roster and you're like, okay, I've got 36 grand of guaranteed revenue coming in the door. And now suddenly your view of what needs to disengage looks much easier that revenue becomes easier to let go of and just let it walk out the back. Now, if you want to sell it, fine, but I rarely have a client after wrestling with all this who wants to go through the process of packing it, of packaging it up and selling it off, especially when they see how much more revenue can be created so much more easily than suddenly. Thir- I mean, I realize that this is not 
like these are real numbers and this is real money. But suddenly $30,000 or $80,000 of trap money that's been keeping them working 70 hours a week is just not worth it to them anymore. So the first batch of disengagement letters goes out and now you're faced with the second batch and the same kind of consideration of, whoo, not sure I'm ready to let go of this revenue yet, but you also don't have capacity necessarily to onboard a bunch of monthly clients, right? Because you're still beyond capacity working 60 hours a week. So how do we get out of that situation? One way to get out of this situation is to go to more clients in your top 10. You Same conversation, say, hey, I've been wanting to take my business in this direction for a long time. I see the need. I'd like to serve you better. At the moment, I'm still working through my backlog of work. But if this is of interest to you, my next two openings for this are whatever the month is, right? Whether it's December or March, probably not, or June, you say, I would love to hold a spot for you if you're interested, Right? And that way you're not taking them on and onboarding them into your new high margin package necessarily until you can get freed up. Because what you don't want, what you want to avoid is taking on these clients when you're still beyond capacity working 55 hours a week. And because you're still kind of in the scramble and busy and head in all kinds of directions, you don't do a great job for them. And then they're frustrated and you're stressed. And then the risk there is that they tell their friends and it makes it a lot harder for you to recover from that. So to the extent that you can hold off onboarding new clients until you have breathing room to build out your onboarding and your monthly package system in a way that's really dialed in, doesn't have to be perfect. Perfect is perfect impedes progress but it just has to be very good so that things aren't falling through the cracks and your clients are getting stung by it. So a way to do that is to simply offer it to them and keep them on a waiting list and let them, you know, give them a sense of when that's going to be. And then you open the door when you're ready. Knowing that you have a wait list of well-paying clients on a bench that is 10 deep will also shift your view of sending out disengagement letters. So how do you determine who to disengage? This does not have to be a complicated process. You can set a timer for 15 minutes. You download your client roster, you make a spreadsheet with columns A through E at the top, you put definitely keep, likely keep, In column D, you put likely disengage. In column E, you put definitely disengage. And in column C, you put undecided. And you don't have to get too hung up about who's in the undecided column because it doesn't matter yet. It doesn't matter today who's in the undecided column. What matters today is who is in the definitely keep column and who's in the definitely disengage column. And you're going to work the process from both ends you're going to identify a couple of your top 10 clients, the ones you're most comfortable with, the ones you're most at ease with, the ones you can give yourself permission to speak more extemporaneously without worrying that they're going to think negatively of you, the ones where you can just show up and and simply be yourself and talk about what you've been thinking, where you've been wanting to take your business and 
offering them your solution because the first couple of times you do it, it's going to be a little bit stilted, a little bit rough at the edges. So to the extent that you can have that conversation with somebody you know, or you're not preoccupied thinking about, are they nitpicking my performance in the back of your mind? It's going to make your process, your life a lot easier. So you work it from the top side and you come at it also from the other end of definitely disengaging and you iterate on that process in stages, in phases. So let me give you some examples of clients who have done this just in terms of numbers. And I went back and I looked through the Slack thread that I have with each of my one-on-one clients. And I was specifically looking for the ones who went from the classic 70-hour work week down to the more 35, 40-hour work week and the number of clients that they disengaged. And the answer is clearly, it depends on how many you start with, right? But in terms of raw numbers, a client who started with about 600 clients disengaged 80 in the first round and 125 in the second round. And then kind of once she figured out the process, kept finding small batches to disengage. Another one with similar numbers, about a thousand clients just in this first round, she's actually right in the middle of it right now, just sent out 185 letters. She'll do her second round once she's dealt with the 185 that are going out the door this week. She's gone through the same process of identifying and converting clients from the top end of her roster into four-figure ongoing monthly packages. Another one who arrived with about 700 clients wanted to go in the direction of high-level fractional CFO and over the period of a year, cut it back to less than 50 clients without a drop in take-home pay. In fact, was looking at how to give her staff raises. And more recently, I just did a reprice your clients with somebody who's on the more starting outside has 100, there are easily 50 in the first round that are going to be disengaged. One thing to keep an eye out for in this process is overthinking and overanalyzing. Expect this to make your stomach turn a little bit. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. I have yet to meet a person who doesn't have mixed emotions about this process. They feel some sense of misgivings, of remorse, of regret, it's part of it. And it's okay. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've probably heard me talk about mindset and how that connects up, how your thoughts connect up with your feelings and your feelings drive your actions. The feeling of having your stomach be a little bit in knots is something that is okay to simply experience. You can have your stomach be in knots and not have it be a problem. You don't have to like it, but you can still move forward with your stomach in knots. It's like, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway. You'll probably experience something a little bit different than fear, but what? It, but it's okay, you just do it anyways. On the other side of the regret, the remorse, whatever you might experience, is a sense of deep relief, a sense of freedom, and a sense of feeling so much lighter. Those are words that my clients say to me when they've done it. They say to me that they feel so much better and they're so relieved. It wasn't easy, but we had to do it and it was the right thing to do. So what does your disengagement letter sound like? This is also a place where you could overthink and overanalyze. 
There are some details that are important to consider, namely what's going to happen for your client after the letter goes out. Are you going to give them two years of past returns? Where are they going to be? Are they going to be in the portal? You know, can they reach out to you for, in air quotes, quick questions? There are some things that you want to consider, but the bones of the letter is really simple. It's three paragraphs. It is with mixed emotion that I share with you changes we are making to our accounting firm, right? And you convey that it's mixed emotion, right? You're both excited for where your business is going and you feel some, you don't have to say this, but you want to convey it. You feel some amount of remorse, regret, sadness, whatever for parting ways. You've known each other for a long time. You have relationships. You've seen their kids grow up, all that, right? So it's both. You want to express that it is mixed emotion because it likely is mixed emotion. Then paragraph two, share the news, right? Here is what is happening. We are making these changes to our business and this is what's going to happen. We will be working with these kinds of clients going forward, beginning on XX date. And the third paragraph is here's how it impacts you and here's what's going to happen for you next. Here's what you need to know about this situation and what it means for you, what your next steps are. And if you have a referral or a couple of names, great. If you don't, do not let it stop you. Best case scenario is you have some names that you can recommend, but given the marketplace, not having somebody to send your people to shall not be reason for you to not send these out. Let me just give you an example on the receiving end, just so you know that I got a disengagement letter and I survived. It happened to be our pediatrician who was lovely. She was so great. And she wanted to go and get her master's in child psychology so that she could be a better pediatrician to her kids so she could understand them better and help them through whatever emotional challenges they might be struggling with. So I got the letter and it was basically the same framework. It's with mixed emotion that we share with you that the pediatrician is off to Boston to get a master's in child psychology. As of whatever the date was, you're no longer going to have a pediatrician in our practice. And the clinic, the hospital, was looking for a new pediatrician, but that role was unlikely to be replaced before the start of the new year, which was nine months from the time I got the letter. And I live in a three-stoplight town in Idaho. It's not like we have pediatricians coming out the ears here. So, of course, what was my response? I was delighted for her. I was so excited for her to go and do her new thing. Of course, I was like, wah, wah, wah. But that was vastly outweighed by me being excited for her next endeavor. And I wouldn't want for her to not pursue what she wants to go and do with her career and her growth because she feels guilty about leaving her pediatrician practice and the impact to all the families. I would never want that for her. And your clients don't want that for you. And if you do have clients who are being selfish, those are not great clients for you anyways, which is why you disengage them. All right, so let's head in the direction of wrapping up here. If you want the templates for those disengagement letters, like I said, I work with clients and I help them craft their disengagement letter. 
It's a lot harder to start from a blinking cursor than it is to start from a couple of templates where you can see what other people have sent out. Plus, you may have a couple of different disengagement letters for different segments of your client roster, right? You might have some actually who deserve a phone call. And you might have some who get the um, the door is closed kind of letter, right? Where there's no option for them to continue working with you. And you might have another batch of clients who receive the door is a jar version because they may have some business opportunities that you may not have been aware of. They might have a reason to consider your offering. So you might have some variations on the letters that go out. If you are interested in those templates, the way to get them is to subscribe to my daily newsletter. And once you do, you'll see in the footer a link to get access to the Google Doc so that you can just create your own copy and take off running with your own versions. If you're looking for that, you can subscribe to my daily newsletter at GeraldineCarter.com. And for this one, it's forward slash subscribe, which will get you directly onto the main list. Okay, coming back to high level, disengaging is good for you. It's good for your business and it's good for your clients. It's good for your best clients who need more attention and access who need more attention from you and access to you. And it's also good for your bottom clients who are just languishing there at the bottom and didn't have what it takes to make it up into your top tier. And they're just languishing without being able to get your attention. It is not good for them. In the same way, it's not good to stay in a relationship when you're just not that into him. It's not fair to either party. The five points on your star so that you can disengage in the context of your entire business are position, strategy, package, price, and promote. Also known as pick who you want to work with, decide what problems you'll solve for them, choose your package and your prices, and sell only that. And your next step is to simply download your client roster, then create five additional columns on the right and start plunking your clients into the columns where they belong. And then hop on my daily email list so you can pick up the template and get your disengagement letters written. As always, I wish you the best. Have an amazing week and I will see you next time. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Registration is open now, but it won't be for long. Go to GeraldineCarter.com now to enroll today.